<laughs> well, so we're going to do things a little bit differently here this morning. I would have you stand up for the reading of Scripture, but it's one verse. So I figured we, you know, to avoid being like a Catholic church, up, you know, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. You know, <laughs> just, uh, we just have you guys just kind of stay, stay sitting for, for this morning uh, <clears throat> as we wait for, uh, for it to come up. But uh, so it's, an interesting, it's going to be an interesting sermon because we're not... We're, we're talking about scripture, of course, uh, as always, because we love, we're people of the word. We love the, we love the Lord. We love the word. Um, but this morning, uh, we are talking about a specific time in scripture between chapters 14 and 15. Um, so really, here's, here's the verse. Here we go. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's the passage we're talking about. So let's pray as we get into our time here this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for your presence. And again, Lord Jesus, we, we proclaim that you are our God. You are the Lord. You are our Savior. And you are um, the focus of our worship and of our lives. We submit to you as Lord, as our God. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would be present here through your Holy Spirit to speak through me and to help me to land the plane uh, in a succinct manner as well. But Lord, help me to be clear and uh, let it be edifying to us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, like I said, it's it's been a rough week. In many ways. <clears throat> um, there's been you know difficulty... Uh, throughout the week, there, there's certain, certain things have happened this week that have been very difficult, uh, for, for me. Um, and also, men, you know, mentally, I would say mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, just have felt, uh, scattered and kind of just, dis, just dis, disjointed all week as I've been, you know, re, you know, doing a lot of research and, and a lot of, uh, investing into, you know, finding out and seeing and understanding what is actually going on overseas? Like, what is going on in Israel and Palestine? What's going on in Gaza? Um, and I felt that that's kind of really taken over a lot of my emotions, and I felt have felt really distracted and just disjointed this week. Um, <laughs> I feel like at the end of this week that I want to you know, go off some sometime this week and go for a retreat. Um, so thankfully I'm going to Billings on Tuesday for my LLC pastors meeting, so that'll be a nice nice uh, break up in the, in the week. But, uh, you know, there's times in our lives we just feel like we need a retreat. We need a rest. We need to come home, even, uh, and just stay home. And this is where we're getting into our passage. Here's a Paul came home. Paul, after this time of this missionary journey, he returned home. And, you know, I, I said on, on, uh, on Facebook, I think I can't remember if I actually mentioned this, but uh, the two things that I look forward to most about coming home from a trip uh, you know, camping with the family or something like that is my bed and my coffee. <laughs> the two things, so, you know, unless I've, uh, unless I've left the family at home and then I look forward to seeing my family first, of course, and then my bed and then my coffee. There's just something about my bed, you know, the eight inch memory foam with the three and a half inches of, me- of memory foam topper. It's just glorious. You know, with the flannel sheets especially, which we need to change those because those other shiny ones are cold. <laughs> but the work for Paul was finished. The, this first mission journey was done. It was over. He was closing the book on it, and he came home to relax. Um, we often, you know, need each other. Um, and this is one of the things that's like, I, I look forward to coming home to my family, 
uh, looking forward to coming home to my comfort, right? And for Paul, he was also coming back to his family. He was coming back to the church. He was coming back to the people he'd been walking with for years through their faith. After, the, after all the stuff that had just happened over the last several weeks of, of our discussion here in the scripture, the several weeks of, for him was several months um, of journey. And he looked forward so much to coming home to be with the brothers and sisters in Antioch in Syria because they were a comfort. As he said at the, at the last couple of verses here of chapter 14, after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And then 28, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. And I read that verse and I thought that that was so powerful that Paul, after making a bunch of disciples, came home and spent a considerable amount of time, not by himself. He didn't go and retreat for three years like he did to Arabia. He came home and spent time with the church. He came home and spent time with those he loved and poured his life into. And they poured their life into him, prophesied over him, prayed for him as he was going and journeying with Barnabas. Invested in their lives. And he spent, when I mean, you think about this, he, in each city, each, each part, I mean, they walked all the way across Cyprus and then spent about three, or, three to five months in every city as the, that they went to. So we're talking like over a year, possibly up to a year and a half or more. Just going around and planting churches, training them up, teaching them the word, teaching them the faith, how to walk in the spirit. He established, it's interesting because this first missionary journey really establishes for him his normal timeline or you know, method of planting churches as we will, continue, we, will, we will continue to see. He does this over and over and over again um, throughout the rest of his missionary journeys, his second and third and fourth missionary journeys. But here's the thing. It'll be two years until he returns to Galatia. Two years before these believers in, you know, Antio- you know, in, uh, Cy- in Cyprus and, and uh, Antioch of Pisidia and Lystra and Iconium and Derbe get to see him again. It'll be two years until he gets to go back to Galatia. But let's look at, let's look at, let's look at these churches. So he's gone. What are these churches consisting of? What does a church, a kind of a commonplace, everyday church, look like in Galatia, in these, you know, these four areas that we've looked at? Well, here's, here, I got a very eye-opening glance this last week at what these churches were like, what the people were like. About half of the saints in the Galatian, these Galatian churches were slaves. About half of them. Others are, are majority, mainly freemen, uh, who were once slaves, but are now free. But here's the thing about freedmen. They don't have full rights as Roman citizens. They might be able to go into the military or eventually apply to and earn them, but they don't have them. So they don't have a lot of the protections and the, and the goodies, the provisions, that a normal Roman citizen would have in that culture. Most freedmen, think about this. Can you, can you imagine yourself in this position? Most um, freedmen lived on the very edge of human survival. Who's living paycheck to paycheck in here? Right? We're, we live you know, paycheck to paycheck oftentimes. 
we live kind of always like you know at the end of our of our savings at the end of our of what, our money coming in sometimes it can get to that that point where we're like man don't know where I'm getting food for. No, I guess I'll go to the food bank. Maybe I'm out, <laughs> or I'm out of you know, out of money. I'm out of. I can't go out and eat anymore. I'm, you know, look at the budget. Oh, we're out of that budget. <laughs> you know, I mean, so many people in our country today are living paycheck to paycheck. The majority of America, do you know that? The majority of vast majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And oftentimes, and here's my little little part about that this, most, most of the time because they don't have a budget. So they just spend money because they get money. They get money, they spend money. They get money, they spend money. Because budgeting has not been a typical way in which we've been taught to live in our country. I wasn't. It wasn't until I took the wonderful class with the messengers and the Eatons that we had, that you know, Amberlynn and I finally create, created a budget for the first time, 2019. So four years out of 40. <laughs> um, One-tenth of my life. Woo! <laughs> but, I mean, so other people in Galatia, in the church, could be part of the Roman army or merchants. Uh, but many or most, like I said, were poor. There were only like a handful, maybe, like a few that were wealthy and or prominent members of the society. The church in the early centuries in Galatia, amongst the Gentile nations, were mainly poor. They weren't flu- affluent. A few were wealthy, like, and like I said, prominent. But here's the thing, even the demographics of humanity in those times, like the, the median age of a, of, a, of a man to live, of, you know, the median death age, I guess you'd say, was 45. It means I only got four years left <laughs> in their culture, really. I mean, so many lived, be- lived beyond and some did not. The average death of a woman, average lifespan of a woman was 38, 38 years. Only half of the children lived past five. And 25% of those died in the first year. And then girls were less valued and they were often aborted. Either if you were wealthy and affluent, you had a doctor that would prescribe you the chemicals that you would take, that you would drink to get an abortion. They were very... Abortion has been around for thousands of years, y'all. They, they, were, they were very skilled in this. Satan has always been very good at killing God's creation. They aborted them. But what, what mainly like the poor or slave or you know, the majority of humanity back then didn't have the money to get the abortion fluid, you know, drinks and, and, and herbs and things like that. And so what they would do is they would actually go and leave it on an altar and let it die of exposure to the elements. They would just let it, leave it out there and let it die. Which is where the church would come by and actually rescue a lot of these babies and raise them in the church, raise them in Christian homes. But people, society, culture in this whole area, this whole region was broken. It's, it's, it was easy to see, but it was also familiar and normative to them. I mean, they were used to it. I mean, we're used to like an average lifespan being, you know, 70s, 80s, even 90s. My, my Nini lived to over 100, right? There's several people that can live over 100 these days. Uh, I mean, what was it, uh, you know, uh, Earn, 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 yeah, Hoffman, Earn Hoffman, 104. Oldest, oldest veteran in Montana at the time before he passed away. But here's the thing. 
all these people. Picture, imagine this group, this hodgepodge group of, of weirdos and, and, and people. Paul loved that church. Paul loved the church. And I know that feeling. I know the feeling of, of seeing a ragtag group of people that would never meet except they come together and worshiping the Lord Jesus and having fellowship with each other because of the Lord Jesus bringing us all together. And I love you. I know that love that Paul had for the church. I know that love. I get to experience that love every single time, every single Sunday I get up, get to get up here and, and look at you all. Be like, wow, God. Man, he loved the church, all of the church, especially the Gentile brothers and sisters. Probably because they, they, had, they had the bacon. I mean, come on, let's be, you know, let's be honest here. You know. <laughs> bacon and Jesus, they just go together. <laughs> he taught the church, he broke bread with the church, broke bacon with the church, married and buried and mourned and celebrated with the church. And a lot happened during this, the time between Acts chapter 14 and Acts chapter 15. Around, this is the timeline, just to give you a little timeline here. This, this time period between these two chapters, the very end of 14 and the beginning of 15, is between one and two years. We're talking a, a pretty long life, you know, a pretty long span of time. So between these, between these chapters. And after about a year, there came the drama. You know, because the, the, they always call it, talk about the calm before the storm, the, the, the rest before the drama, before the stuff hits the proverbial fan, right? Judaizers from Jerusalem. First to Galatia, then to Antioch. There was, think about this, because at the time, there was no liter, literary compass. There was no Bible for the church. They didn't have the Bible. And no, there was no unifying text, really, in the church. And really no texts at all among the brethren. Among the brethren. Unless maybe a Jewish brother had a book or two, or they remembered some stuff from their Torah classes when they were a child. Right? But even if they did have a book, only like 5, five to 10% of the people were actually literate. And those are mostly the affluent, the wealthy, the prominent. But then remember, this is a poor and enslaved church or freedmen, poor church, right? With just a handful of prominent people there. That's why Paul would send someone with a letter from him who could read. And they would read the letter to the church. And that, they probably taught someone in the church how to read so they could read the letters that he would write to them. Or have a prominent person within the church. I mean, maybe like 20 to 30% in a major city. We're talking like, you know, where there's more affluency and stuff. But in a small town like this, you know, there was probably even less than 5% of people in the small, in these small little towns. Um, and especially because most of the cities that he planted in Galatia didn't have a synagogue. The only church, only church, the only city that we know of that had a synagogue was the first one, Antioch and Pisidia. Latter ones, Iconium and Lystra, I'm sorry, Iconium I guess did, Lystra did not, and Derby did not. So at least half of the churches didn't have even a synagogue in which they could go and listen to Torah being preached, being taught. But again, there were uncircumcised Gentiles, so they couldn't go in the synagogue. But hence probably why Paul spent so much time, like three to five months in each church, 
to teach them the covenant, to teach them this, this part. This is the part that was oral, again, to the church. And to teach them the ways, teach them the stories. It was like, you know, Sunday school on steroids (laughs) for three to five months and training up people to teach. Paul writes the very, and here's the thing, right here, right now, in this year span between after the time where he, you know, He's resting in Galatia. I'm sorry, resting in in Antioch. This is when the Judaizers are sent to Galatia and they start to make trouble. And then word gets back to him. They write a letter to Paul in in Antioch of Syria and tell him what's going on. And he gets mad. We're talking livid. This is livid, Paul. Unrestrained, unjust, ravenous Paul in a letter that he writes to the Galatians. And Galatians is actually the very first book that we have in the New Testament that's ever written. It's the first book that's ever been, that's ever, ever written before the Gospels. It's before, written well before Acts. It's the, it's the first in all of Scripture because the Bible that we have right here is Roman order. Do you know that? So Roman order is by author by size. And so just because Romans is Paul, it's, it's the longest of his books. So the, the Bible is not chronological in the New Testament and, or in the Old Testament. We'll get to that in another, that's another teaching. But, so the very first letter that was written was the book of Galatians. And then the next one, somewhere around this time, was the book of James. And so I'm, I'm kind of laying this out because this is going to be the next couple weeks. For us, so we're going to read Galatians sometime this week because this is right around where the time where Paul writes it, which we're going to get to in a second. And then next week, I'm going to set up James. We're going to talk about the book of James. Um, so we're going to read a bit of of Galatians here this morning. But here's the thing about about uh, about Galatians: that when he writes this, he is angry, and he's also been known as a short man. So he's he's an angry elf. Have you ever seen the movie Elf? Anyway. <laughs> we need here's the thing we need to get a fuller understanding of this time period we need to get a fuller understanding of the situa- of the underlying situation that provokes the writing of Galatians and as we'll read in Galatians I'm sorry in Acts chapter 15 excuse me provokes the uh, pivotal meaning of the, between the senior church officials and leaders at the Jerusalem council that we're going to read about in Acts chapter 15 in a couple in a few weeks. Why? Why is Paul angry? What is driving him to write this, as I call him, unhinged Paul? He's just like, we're going to get to a few of the lines when he, that he talks about in here. They're pretty, wow. But why? Because the Judaizers from Jerusalem are preaching a false and racist gospel of you must be first you must first become a jew to become a christian so you have to change even your race in a sense like joining a race you have to give up your gentileness to become a jew to become a christian but paul they were saying that paul's gospel you know this is the gospel this is what they're preaching to the galatians they're saying oh paul's gospel was insufficient it was like the first part, but it's incomplete. It's insufficient. You need Jesus, yes, 
plus to become circumcised and follow the entire law of Moses. But here's the thing. Paul's, this is Paul's gospel. This is Paul's gospel in a nutshell. Right there, your first line. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to Jesus, it voids the whole thing. Jesus does not share his place of salvation with anyone or anything. But here's the glory. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus straight, no chaser. You get everything. You get life and life abundant. You get the Holy Spirit. You get salvation. You get joy. You get purpose. You get life. You get hope. You get love. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the Father. And you get to call God, the Father, Abba, which is Dad, Papa. So it might irk you when people say, Daddy God, but that's super accurate. That's full on the way that we're supposed to look at our dad, look at our father, not just in the Patros, Father. It's so funny, Jackson's been getting to this thing where he calls me Father. Father, I'm like, my name's Dad. <laughs> they're not called father jokes. They're called dad jokes. <laughs> it's, it's not a dad bot. It's a father figure. <laughs> hey. But our, our, the rightful place before our God, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, is daddy-o. Is papa. To run into his arms with joy and acceptance because that's where we belong. <coughs> what, hap- what is happening in Galatia with the Judaizers and what happened with Peter in Antioch um, builds up to, or is the cause of this watershed pivotal moment in the life of the church, early and present for us today. This culture shift moment of chapter 15, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Because it tries to answer this. What's going on right now is that these is the the, the Jerusalem Jew, Jewish Christians believers are trying to solve the Jewish. I'm sorry, the the Gentile problem. You know, the Jewish believers, for the most part, you know, were good. You know, they were good with the Gentile believers. The Jews got were like, yeah, that's great. They let them in the kingdom. You know, by coming to faith in Jesus. You know, because there's a lot of Old Testament passages that talk about you know the Gentiles being included. Right, that God the Father is including them in, you know, including us, Gentiles, us, into the kingdom of God. But the question is, what does their entrance into and existence within the church look like? That was the question that had to be answered for them. The Gentiles were entering the covenant people of God not by circumcision, but by simply being baptized and were becoming filled with the Holy Spirit without becoming Jews first, without following the whole law of Moses. And this is exactly Paul's uh, message, gospel message, and gospel method. Paul's message to the Galatians is 
directly and purposefully contradictory to the message of the Judaizers. So, answering the question of like, you know, because Paul had answered these things for the Gentiles because, again, they didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul had to answer these questions for them. Like, who is Yahweh? Who is the true God? Who is Jesus? How do we worship him? If it's not through the law, then, then what is it? Then how, how do we worship him? If we can't go to the temple, if we're not called to go to the temple and offer sacrifice because Jesus is our sacrifice, then how do we worship God? How do we serve him if he's not worshipped and served by human hands as though he needed, needed anything but gives to all mankind life and breath and everything? How, you know, how do we worship him in spirit and in truth? How do we operate as a church? What do we do when we come together? Are we like a dog that wouldn't know what to do with it if wouldn't know what to do with a car if he caught one? Like, what do we do when we come together? What do we do when we experience God together? Paul is teaching them the, the foundational aspects of grace and freedom and hope and community, the one another. That's why you'll see all throughout his epistles. All throughout his letters, one another, each to the other, one to another, one another, one another, one another. Because it is foundational that the operation of the church is founded upon the one another. And existing, when we come together, okay, now what, Holy Spirit? Teach us and lead us, Holy Spirit. Edify us, Holy Spirit. Empower us to prophesy, Holy Spirit. Empower us to pray over one another, in your power, Holy Spirit. How do we encourage and build up one another by the Holy Spirit? And not just get to the place where our only existence is coming together on a Sunday morning for two hours, singing a few songs and listening to me me talk for, you know, an hour. Sometimes. He's teaching them the foundation of how to operate in the Holy Spirit as a church, how to listen to, obey, follow, speak forth from the Spirit. He's teaching what goodness looks like in the church. This is good, how to come together. Because here's the thing, Judaizers want to bring them back to slavery, to law, into individualistic, legalistic asceticism in religion, back into slavery, And that's exactly the words that he uses. He uses all these words like slavery and bondage and freedom or set free and several things like this in the church, you know, several times in this book just to the Galatians. Why? Because remember, over half of them were slaves. They understood this concept of slavery and freedom. And so we're going to look at Galatians for the last part of our time here together. So Galatians, so Paul writes this. So this is, you, know, you get the kind of undergirding what's going on behind the surface and why Paul writes the letter to the Galatians here. All right. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatian churches around AD 49 or so. Um, so Paul makes a strong stance against legalistic Christianity, the blending of Judaic, Judaistic Old Testament law and living by a written code both civil and moral, in order to live by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul was not raising up this, you need to go and, and, and follow this written code. 
He didn't teach them the Old Covenant so that they would follow a law. He taught them the Old Covenant. The old, you know, they taught, he taught them the old, the, the old Testament so that they would know the God that they were worshiping right. and how Jesus is that God. Right. He came to show them how to live life in the Holy Spirit. This becomes the basis um, also for his debate and argument against the Judaizers that we'll read about here in, in a few weeks when we read uh, Acts chapter 15, when they come you know, into, into his backyard, into Antioch. So I want us to read just a few sections just to kind of get an overview of the book of Galatians. But here's the thing. Uh, what I'd like to do, so everyone write this on your, on your piece of paper, any, like pull out your phones if you have a calendar in front of you. Right? We're going to meet this Wednesday at 7 o'clock right here. In, the, in this building. Because tomorrow night the, scou- the scouts are up here and then Tuesday night we have an elders meeting. Uh, Thursday night we have a Love Inc. And so it's just going to be a mess. So Wednesday night is the only, pretty much the only night that we can probably do this. Um, uh, and so we already have plans tonight. And so uh, so Wednesday night we're going to meet right here at 7 o'clock and we are going to, like I've, like I've been promising for almost a year since we started this series in the book of Acts, this is what we're talking about. When we're, we're going to sit down and we're going to read an enti- the entire letter. We're going to read the entire book in one sitting as though the letter was written to us today. And so we're going to read the whole book of Galatians on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to start at 7. And it, it should take less than an hour because uh, this is kind of a shorter, shorter book. Uh, so write that on your calendar. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock right here. But I want to just read through so, so you kind of get a feeling of how... Of, you know, from this context of what he's preaching, how it comes out in his letter. So if you're, if you're able or not able to come on Wednesday. It says these things. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. But when Kephas, this is skipping on chapter 2, but when Kephas came to Antioch, so this is what happened also in, the, in this like two-year period. So Kephas came to Antioch with Simon Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, what? In private, in secret, you know, in front of everyone, public. If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Skipping on to Galatians 3. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? They were starting to believe the gospel. Uh, I'm sorry, not the gospel, but the deceiving words of these Judaizers that were coming to, coming to Galatia, to the region, and following in their legalism. 
Some might have even gotten circumcised, as we'll see a little bit later. But here's the thing, like, but Paul felt that he was also equal to Peter and that he went as as a fellow equal apostle and corrected Peter in our passage here before. Paul went and, and corrected Peter because he was equal. He is equal to Peter in authority. And he's saying like, are you, did you receive the spirit by following the law? And he goes on in, in, in these passages, he says, it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to fulfill all the law perfectly. That's why Jesus came. So stop trying to be perfected. Try, stop trying to make yourself holy by trying to do the law. It ain't going to happen. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit are now being finished by the flesh? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. That's why Jesus went on the cross. The curse is everyone who dies on a tree. He became a curse to fulfill the law. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous, what? Will live by faith. This line right there, this line right there is one of the most pivotal lines that created us. Martin Luther read this line right here and it transformed his entire faith from a works-based Catholic faith to a following by faith. We're justified by faith, not by works, not by penance but by faith, freedom. Galatians, later on Galatians. Why then was the law given? What was the purpose of it? Why did God give the the Jews the Mosaic law? Why? It was added for the sake of transgressions because of just the overwhelming sin that that Israel was living in. Why? Because they came out of a pagan nation. They came out of Egypt and everything in the law was counter to the culture that they were taught in Egypt. It was a new way until what? The seed. Singular. That's why it's capitalized in the Bible. The seed. That's Jesus. The seed to to whom the promise was made would come. Until Jesus came, the law was given. That's a huge passage right there. Huge passage. It was added for the sake of, of, of transgressions until... What, what do you th- usually think about when you hear the words until? Do you think that it's going to continue? No. no. It's done. It's over. It's done with. Why? For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So he's basically saying, yes, you are in the Old Covenant. The real Old Covenant. Not the Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant. Because remember, it's the Mosaic Law, the Abrahamic Covenant. We are included in the Abrahamic Covenant so that now we who are in Christ and Christ is in us have become part of Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. You are sons and daughters, heirs of the promise. Can I go, woohoo? That's the glory. That's the joy. That's the goodies. I love that word. 
And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Daddy, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Son and daughter. It's both. And here's the, here's the joy. Here's the goodies right here. I never realized this until I read, the, read Galatians. This is not freedom necessarily. This, this part of it is not specifically freedom from sin. It's freedom from the law. Freedom from those who would tell you that there is such a law, written code, by which we're supposed to live by. Putting yourself under a law. Under restrictions, rules, regulations. Do this or else. That's what, that's what I really mean. This do this or else mentality. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. To what? The law. That's what he's talking about. That's the context for, for Galatians chapter 5. Don't let Judaizers make, try to make you Jews. Try to make you under a law, under restrictions, under regulations. Under slavery. That's another one of those, those things of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, that's why we know it's the context of the law, if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who, uh, who gets himself circumcised that he is now obligated to do the entire law. You, must, you, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. If you think that your faith is getting about getting closer to Jesus about your works, no, you're actually going the other direction. You're not walking in freedom, you're walking in law. And you're actually walking away from Christ by trying to just simply address your behavior rather than your heart. Becoming more like Christ in your heart and your mind and your spirit. Because when you transform your thinking, when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, what you do will, will follow. It starts here. Right believing. Right there. You have fallen from grace. You, we, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith. Faith. Allegiance to God, allegiance to Jesus, working through love. He even goes so far. Here's, it gets colorful. I mean, he like, he works himself up into a tizzy. He's like, I wish that those who disturb you might also let themselves be mutilated. Wow. I don't want to go too much into graphic, but basically he's saying, move the knife just a few inches further up. <laughs> if you know what circumcision is, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that word mutilated means complete mutilate everything if you're, if you're going to start there you might as well go all the way wow. Wow. I say then here it is here's the glory here's the joy here's the goodies walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the, and the spirit desires what, against, what is against the flesh these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But you do what He wants. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
And he follows with this. The, oh, my favorite passage in all of Galatians. Because now the works of the, of the flesh, they're obvious. Here's, what you sh- here's, a, here's, here's who you are not anymore. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, evil, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things like they do in the temples, like they do in the culture, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, let me say it again, but, the fruits of the Spirit. That's it. The works of the flesh or the works of the Spirit. Or you can you kind of both the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I would actually agree, like I said, I've said before, I would actually agree with most, with most you know, more modern scholars that that is the fruit of the Spirit. The punctuation in the original Greek actually stops it right there as a semicolon. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love. And then the rest of the eight are descriptions of agape, of chesed, faithful, steadfast, devotion, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what does love look like? What does chesed look like? It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And he wraps up the whole book of Galatians by saying this, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So from now on, let no one cause trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Because what? He was stoned. Beaten. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's kind of Galatians in a nutshell. But come, come Wednesday night and, we'll, and we're going to read the whole thing so we can really get a grasp. Now that we understand the context by, way, by which he's writing, we understand what's going on behind the scenes to fully understand what, what's going on in this passage here. But here's the thing, and I want to kind of teach, I'll teach a little more of this next week. But Galatians was written to Gentiles. James, which is oftentimes people quote as like saying, oh, you're saved by works, was written to Judea, was written to Judea, was written to Jewish believers who were going the opposite direction. They were saying, I don't have to do anything now. And they, so basically he's saying, no, get off your butt and do something good because now you have the Holy Spirit. Over here, these people were trying to be led into doing in order to accomplish salvation. This one was like salvation from having to do anything. So two separate contexts for Galatians and James. So we have to, it's, it's, and, we'll, and we'll get more of a, a cool color picture uh, here in a couple weeks. Uh, super excited. So, um, but, my question for us to hear this morning, as we as we wrap this up, how do we read Galatians for Belgrade? How do we here in Belgrade hear it for ourselves? That it's not by works that we're saved. It's not 
trying to do this and do that in order to attain God's love or to attain cleansing of our conscience. Trying to use religion as a way of trying to quell shame or guilt. Because remember, God, Jesus, died for sin. All sin. Past, present, future. Remember, all of your sin was future to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. He has covered it all. Not just your sin, though. Jesus died for your shame. So in the times when we do those things that are unpleasing to God, the, thing, the times when we act just like they did in the Gentiles, right, the, the, manifesting the fruit of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit, we can come still boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy in a time of need. It's not about trying to come before God and, and clean yourself up in order to be good enough to come before God. He says, come before me, come to me. I'm the one who can cleanse your conscience. I'm the one who can bring you back mentally and spiritually, emotionally. So if you, fail, if you falter, keep going. Run to where you belong. Run into the arms of grace to receive mercy in a time of need. Because it's not about the doing of works in order to attain to cleansing your, 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 your shame, cleansing your guilt, cleansing your sin. It's been done. We lean into and throw ourselves upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. Living the resurrection life. Grace. Hope. Purpose. Love. All because God loves you. Let that sink in. Think about your week. What's been going on this week that has called you to question whether, does God love me? Does God want me? Am I good enough? Yes, you are. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what He did for you. And because of what He is still doing for you. He is still drawing near. He is still stirring your heart by the Holy Spirit, stirring you with joy, stirring you with life, stirring you with pleasure, reminding you of His pleasure for you. He is not disgusted with you. He's not disappointed in you. He finds pleasure in you. He sees you as a son or daughter He is your Papa. He's your Abba. He is your Daddy O. Don't let anyone take that away. Saying that you have to do this or do that to appropriate the grace of God. You can't appropriate nothing. There's a lot of beauty and joy and fun to be had in like celebrating the Jewish festivals and reading scripture and studying theology and growing in knowledge. But walk by faith. 
That is the life of a believer. That is the life of one of God's saints. Walk by faith. Walk by the Holy Spirit together. That is God's call for us. Walk by the Spirit, not by the law. Walk by the Spirit together. Uplift one another. Remind each other of the love of God for one another. Speak these things over one another in your homes. Speak these things over to one another in your act groups. Speak these things over, to, over one another in your small groups, in your, in your one-on-one conversations. Speak life. Speak God's love. Remind each other who we are in Christ. That is the gospel message and gospel method of our faith. Because remember, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing, Jesus alone, straight, no chaser, is everything. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your glory. You are Lord God above all. We are your people We are your pleasure. We are the apple of your eye. We are your beloved. We are your bride. We are your saints, Lord. Remind us of the truth of the gospel. Remind us of the good of the gospel. Remind us of the joy and the glory of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and the joy of the of the presence of the Holy Spirit in each one of us and in in us together. Lord, we thank you. We glorify you. We worship you. We lift you up. And we pray, God, that you would be near. God, that you would come near each one of us to wash away our shame. Lord, to, to cleanse our consciences, Lord. To remind us of your joy and your pleasure in us, Lord. And to remind us that you are greater, that you are the one that we can hang our hat on. You are our protector. You are our, our salvation. We can run to you and hide underneath the safety of your wing. That we don't have to be stressed out and anxious because of what is going on in the world. But Lord, you are our savior. You're the one that, that takes away all fear and anxiety. And so God, we come before you. Be with us through this week. Remind us of your presence. Draw us close. And help us to encourage and and build up one another in love. For it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.